Welcome to this lockdown episode of the Toffee Blues Everton Newsfeed podcast. I am standing in for Jerry this time round. What's Jerry up to these days? Heard from? No, to be honest, I, not not directly. I, I know he's uh, he's obviously like everyone else. He's dealing with um, coronavirus himself, and he he's got you know kids and that. And, you know, got a. I'm not even. I'm not even sure if his worker allows him to go home. I'm not entirely sure what his situation is, but I know he's he's a lot busier than I am. So yeah. I'm sure he'll uh, he'll make a triumphant return before the lockdown's over. But um, I'm not entirely sure when that is. So I've been doing a couple of uh, podcasts with uh, James and one with our Paul. And it's uh, nice to see you, mate. Like, I mean, yeah. it's how are you coping with the uh, the Isle solitary confinement? <laughs> I'm alright. Um, a bit tough doing the uh, the prison workouts with very limited resources at hand, but you know I'm I'm coping pretty well with it. To be fair, um, I enjoy it. As I was saying to you off camera, I've, I've got to be honest, because I'm I'm sort of um, I'm indulged in the sort of world of podcasts and what have you. I don't necessarily need an excuse to socially isolate. You know what I mean? Like I'm quite gladly stay in my room and uh, and listen to podcasts and watch podcasts all day but um yeah well like that's what we're essentially gonna get the ball rolling with and, and discuss like what have you been consuming in in while well, you've had nothing but time um well I'm, I'm like yourself i i i've struggled less than most like i don't want to you know make light of it you know because a lot of people are struggling financially and stuff like that now i'm quite lucky in the sense that i i'm I'm not. I've got a job that's quite facilitating, so I'm happy about that. But um, yeah, I I don't mind being in the house. I mean, don't get me wrong. This isn't like time off in the traditional sense, because even even like things like oh, you, you can't even enjoy, you know, football or going like to your you know, your parents' house or anything like that, because you I am on proper lockdown. Mm. I haven't been over. I haven't even been over my front door in in seven days. So I've been I've been watching um, like a lot of stuff and listening to a lot of podcasts and all that. But the the main thing I've watched that I can you know main the number one thing I've watched is come as no surprise to most is Tiger King. I think everyone's watched that. Uh, you know I spoke to you off camera just to see if you'd seen it. You you you'd sort of made a start, but I haven't followed it up yet. Max, you need to mate. It's absolutely round the bend. It's the mo. It, it's gone. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like, I think the sole reason why I'm watching it because I've got to a point now where, honestly, like, looking looking at my Netflix and looking at my watch history, I get like twenty minutes half an hour into something, and I'm just like, eh, it just seems like another sort of glossy Netflix produced sort of dead subject. If that makes sense. But yeah. I've I've started I've started on time you think purely so all the memes start making sense because all I'm getting is like Carol Baskin memes and I'm like yeah. come on I, I I don't get it but um what what I've found quite funny like not exactly spoilers but I've, um, I'm like as I say like 20 minutes into the first episode every single individual that works on that zoo just seems absolutely batshit crazy. Like people have got missing teeth, no legs, no arms, all of it. The people, the people who work at, at that zoo are the most normal out of everyone. That's the thing. <laughs> the deeper you get into it, it doesn't give you a minute. The first episode is quite a gentle introduction, I think. You, you know, I, I, I watched it because I, I got told it was brilliant, but I didn't know that it was crazy when I first watched it. It was quite early after it had been released. So I didn't look any further into it. There was no memes or anything at that point. So I just put it on, and I'm I'm like big into animals and stuff. So I thought it'd be about the zoo in the sense of, you know, oh this guy's got you know hundreds of tigers and you know there's more tigers in in captivity in America than there is in the wild and so on. Oh mate, the the animals are like not even important in it. Not really. It's just all about the people and 
it once once you get over the hump of the first episode, it doesn't give you a second. It just knocks you on the on the mat and doesn't let you get up. It's <laughs> it's there's loads of people in it, and they're all scumbags. Every single one of them, and you you go on like an emotional roller coaster because sometimes you like some of them, and then another episode will like to show you more about them, and you don't like them. And then you'll mm. like be sore back, and you know you'll see something in a different light, and you'll prefer, and you'll go, oh, well, actually, I don't think they're that bad after all. Oh, mate, I, I don't want to go into too much, too much detail, because you know the the more surprises, the better. But I'm telling you, all the people with missing teeth and missing limbs and all that, they're the most down to earth, normal people in it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely off the wall. It's so crazy. You'll, you'll, you'll message me when you've watched it and gone and just go, Oh my God. I, I introduced my sister to it and she just binged it. I think there's seven episodes an hour each and she watched them all last night. I had to do it in two sittings cause I was exhausted halfway through and she was just like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. It's so good. I'll, I'll binge it. Um, funnily enough as well. I didn't mention it, but, um, I was like, obviously, me, me first sort of instinct when all this sort of got announced that like potential lockdown and whatnot was like, obviously, I'd moved straight back to Liverpool to make sure the family and then all right. And I didn't have me, me Xbox in Manchester and I've sort of, I've started gaming again and I found um, one of the Call of Duties from me Xbox 360 has been backwards compatible in the Xbox One. And you're talking about binge watching. I completed the full campaign in one day <laughs> like so like just wasting time by the bucket load but when you've got nothing but time to kill it i suppose what you're supposed to do in it really anyway just to sort of tick off what we're meant to be covering in, in this podcast firstly obviously it's the, the thing that's on everybody's lips fans governing bodies clubs to do with everybody that's interested in football and, and sport as a whole really is um about the current state, obviously, in particular for the Premier League, should it be voided? Talking about the ifs and buts uh, and the sort of discussion that's happening in and around that. Then we're going to be moving on to quite a, an interesting thing and something that I'm looking forward to. Everton, uh, and hats off to the club, they have been coming up with some really good content in this time. It's obviously provided a lot of good opportunities for football clubs to take advantage of. Uh, put a little thing on their Instagram story yesterday it was a, a template for the best Everton 11 in my lifetime and I seen Terry's and while mine and Terry's do overlap somewhat there are some notable differences which I think will be an interesting discussion um, and then just to wrap the show up with some, some genuine discussion I was thinking we're going to talk about again sort of what we've been watching and, and what we plan to do during lockdown cool so right on to the Onto, I suppose, the most contentious thing to to discuss during this time of, of no football, and again, it it has been hard, hasn't it? Like the sort of, I've got to be honest, like, and I know this might sound really, really sad, but losing that structure of Saturdays when the football is played, it's like it's just thrown me life into some sort of abyss. Like having a complete absence of football, like I'm I'm going back and I'm watching classic matches and uh, you know World Cup finals, Champions League finals, old Everton matches. But at this present moment in time, um, hotly contested, as I say, amongst many individuals involved in football, like what are we actually going to do with the remaining 92 games that are left to play? Now, Premier League official communications have come out and said that they were looking to... Play has essentially been postponed until... The 30th of April, meaning that games would not commence until May, which I'm surely you agree with me, Terry, but I think it's going to be a long while after that. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, on the record, like, I I mean, the the governing bodies and all the clubs have, have said, haven't they, they're committed to, like, completing the season, which... You know, all all like you know, obvious you know jokes aside, I don't think anyone wants it to be cancelled. Wants it to be cancelled. I think a lot of people expect it to, uh, because if you if you just look at the other things that are being cancelled, like Wimbledon's been cancelled um, mm-hmm. now. Grand National. That's um, well, this is the thing. It, Wimbledon is due to be played the end of June, start of July. 
Now, I don't see how sporting events even behind closed doors with the amount of you know things that need to go on there can be played in May with the way things are now. I would love it to be the case. Like I was I've said it on, on previous shows, like I was dead against playing behind closed doors early in this, you know, predicament that we're in. And now I'd give me I'd give me a right arm for it. Like I just want football back and miss it. Everyone misses it. It, it this has shown this period that it doesn't matter whether your team's good or whether your team's terrible, it's your team and it's such a big part of your life. You know, you every you go online, you read the paper, you do everything, you just you, know, you listen to the radio. It's all about football for a lot of people and you know we're we're the same. Like I, I now I'm seeing like transfer stories online I'm just going there's probably nothing in that because they're all yeah. at home they're like what are they you know like how is that getting out if it's true because they're probably not even speaking to each other at, you know clubs and whatnot at this point because they don't know when they can even complete deals and if it, they are talking to each other how can anyone get that information if it's in a phone call so it's just oh. you can't even get into anything like that <sighs> there's been a few things mentioned hasn't there? like little like mini World Cup style you know like playing out of games which has been rubbish by like a lot of pundits and stuff as being like irresponsible and unrealistic mm. I don't see it getting completed like I think it'd yeah. be, be a disaster for every single club in the country big and small for, for reasons we'll go into but I just don't see how I'd love it to be completed and I'd love it to you know improve so rapidly that we can get back to it but you know, no one is yet to, is able to convince me how it has happened. Yeah. So this sort of World Cup style um, approach, I think it initially came out from an article by Miguel Delaney in the in the Independent, and you know, full credit to Miguel Delaney. Like I, I've met the guy. I think the stuff he gets out there is is really good. But this sort of format of obviously 90, 92 games remaining. Um, and playing them in a sort of essentially a World Cup style format, which means say there'd be a couple of televised games a day. Um, I think that obviously that rears the head to a, a couple of different things. Firstly, I think it it shows the importance of broadcasters to the game. Like I'm do, essentially doing my dissertation on it. Like it's. It, it's not so much it's sad to say, I think it's a sort of harsh truth now that broadcasters are, if not the most important shareholders in football, given the revenue that they they pump into the game now. And I think the government actually, uh, uh, I think in the article it highlighted that the government are in favour of the idea because they quite like the, the prospect of the nation sort of having something to do in, in terms of having a, a national sport event to watch. Um, and I think that was summed up quite nicely by my mate in one of my recent episodes of my podcast where he said football is the most important of the least important things in a sense. So while it's deemed non-essential, it, it does really bring a sense of community to people. However, and this is where my sort of view, this is where I stand on the whole conundrum essentially, is that yes, okay, you can play games behind closed doors, but take for example, take for example, Mikel Arteta, obviously the manager of Arsenal, and I think the whole sort of coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic hit me once I found out that my childhood hero uh, had it. Like, if he's the manager of Arsenal, obviously I think he, he saw, I think he's posted, tested negative for it now. I think it was his birthday the other day and he come out that he, he's tested negative for it. But I think there's been examples of people who have tested positive for it who eventually and tested negative have sort of gone into remission and tested positive for it again so like you're saying there are so many elements to a football game the crowd aside you know it's like medical professionals officials um on the bench you obviously that that's completely bypassing social distancing as it were um so i think yeah you can play games behind closed doors um in order to try and fulfill the you know the demands of broadcasters to get their money's worth but just like players are still really a high risk, essentially. If there are, you know, I think it, I think one of the the key figures in football that first came out of being tested positive was the chairman of Nottingham Forest, if I'm not wrong. And then this has sort of had a, a domino effect of 
you know, obviously Mikel and then a couple of other figures. So like Callum Hudson, the Doy at Chelsea. So, you know, that I think that's where I stand on it. Uh, I think, I think Rooney put a, I think it was his first article in the Times he come out with, where essentially he said he doesn't mind the idea of the 2021 season starting late. So it's just basically resume as soon as possible, whenever that may be. But it also sort of acclimatises the international players for by the time the World Cup in Qatar rolls around, which would be 2022. But again, there's just so much ambiguity surrounding it. And it doesn't help the fact that there's two major international competitions. Obviously, the, the Euros has been moved to 2021 now, and we don't know what impact that's going to have into the, the World Cup. But as I say, I, I genuinely don't think anyone can say with much certainty at the moment um, when play is going to resume, in a sense. Again, like, what do you feel about all of this? I mean, it, it just can't. It just can't resume, whether they want it or not. Like, they, they can say, you know, and I agree, it would be a massive boon to the, you know, the efforts of the, like, the government, whatever, to have football back on. Um, just you know, for the national morale, if anything, and not everyone likes football, but enough people do. You know what I mean? Like a, mm. a distraction and, and what have you. But if it if it is, say it is voided, it'd be absolutely catastrophic to every club, big, small, whatever. Because there's, you know, the most clubs now are operating. Well, I can only speak for Premier League clubs. It goes without saying the lower league clubs are all be financially devastated because they're you know relying on match day revenue and what mm. have you. The bigger clubs, the Premier League clubs, who aren't so much relying on match day revenue, um, you know they are very much relying on TV money revenue, and that would be thrown into question um, if they don't fulfil the you know the games they've got lined up. Now, all right, it's an unprecedented situation, and I think the broadcasters would be like ill served to go against the decision, even if it is, you know, to not pay the money if it's voided, because it isn't sort of a decision that the, you know, the legal have made likely or the clubs have made likely. And the, you know, the, the broadcasters want to be very careful because when this gets back to normal and it eventually will, the, the league and the clubs will remember that, you know, if there's, if these clubs are still around, that the TV companies withheld the money for something that wasn't their fault. And it, it when it comes to renewing the deals, they might, you know, clubs will look, might look to break away and do this, you know, this Netflix of, of Premier League idea that mm. it's been touted. But there's a lot of clubs, you know, like even the bigger ones, Man United, Liverpool, what have you, who've got massive revenue streams, they can't survive without the Premier League TV money. The wage bills are too big. Like, mm. it doesn't matter how many shirts you sell in, like, China and Australia and America, it's not enough to pay these massive, massive contracts. They've got Everton be the same way, massively reliant on the TV money. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether it'd be, it'd just be prudent to do, to do that. You know, Rooney's idea, just like, just let it come back in September, whenever it is. And then, you know, have a short break with no, you know, because the players, the players need like a short break and then a short pre-season then back into the football. It'd be bizarre from a supporter's point of view to like, you know, get used to that because it'd be so different to normal. Mm. But then is it, do you count this time off that they've got now as a rest, as a break to the players? I don't think the players feel rested because it's stressful. No. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, can't, you know, they, when we start again, even if we were to start again like soon, you'd still need like a little acclimatization period of training and, and what have you, and if it goes on for a long time, you wouldn't just need training, you'd need like pre-season games and all the equivalents, and you know, it probably wouldn't be international at that point, it'd be, you know, we'd, you know, we'd play Tranmere and Chester and what have you. Um, that's even if they still exist at that time, it's such a exactly. bizarre, unprecedented scenario. And even the Premier League clubs, the Super Elite clubs, they aren't guaranteed to be so financially secure that they can sort of weather the, the 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 fallout if it's voided. The voiding of this league might see some big name clubs go to the wall because of the way they're managed and the 
the you know money aspect because even clubs that are well run and live within their means, their budget is on that TV money. And if it doesn't you know all come in and all the match day revenue and everything on top of it, you're relying on a on a rich owner to basically underwrite those losses. And who's to say you know some of them can't can even do it because you know there's going to be a global recession on the back of this, or they at least predict there will be. So you know mm. some some owners could find they've not got as much money as they used to, or they're not as willing to underwrite, you know, costs for a, you know, a Premier League club. I don't know. I mean, voiding as much as everyone would go, oh, Liverpool lost the league and all that, it, it would be a very bad thing for all the clubs. Just, just, just let the, just, just play it, let them win it, and they can't even have a parade. So, <laughs> this will be the this season won't be remembered for that anymore. Anyway, it'll be remembered for the virus. So, just let them win it. Come on. Yeah. Um, I know it's 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 even if it does come back, there's going to be huge ramifications for football. It could have come at the very worst time for us. It could they could have a huge deflation um, effect on like say transfer. Carlo Ancelotti come out and said something similar to that, didn't he? Saying that it could be one of the huge adaptations that the football industry has to take. Is like obviously we've over the last couple of years we've gone through. I think it was all triggered by Neymar's transfer, almost the sort of inflation of transfer fees and the industry as a whole. But yeah, it, we can... I mean that was the the sort of you know just the pillar sort of transfer where it gets tied to, but it was a lot of the TV revenue and all that. So the Premier mm. League. Uh, the Premier League was the straw that stayed the drink, really, wasn't it? Because, you know, all this Premier League money, you know, clubs like Bournemouth were like Richard and Valencia and you know, teams like that. And just basically all the Premier League money would go out and onto the continent and then that would just spin around the continent. But that the source of a lot of the money, apart from the very big clubs like St. Madrid or Barcelona, Bayern Munich, most of the money that was washing around was just the money that started in the Premier League, which come from Sky and BT and what have you. Mm. It, I still think they'll um, they'll be that money, but I think this will have significantly spooked enough clubs to spend less. They, you know, like they, so in order to get players off your books, you have to price them as a lot lower. We're, we're in this phase where we need to still be selling. You know, we we're, we're still looking to shift players like Cheng Tosin and and. Um, Morgan Schneider and say, sorry, Max. But, um, yeah, it could have a massive negative effect on us because we won't be able to generate the funds that we thought we might be able to. But then, it, on the other hand, it might not even come to a recession. Like, you know, you, you just don't know because there's no way of of knowing. It, it could be that prices go up because clubs are looking to, you know, recoup even more money to make themselves more financially stable. But if this is... Yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I think as well, this is going to scare any clubs who are looking, to, who are relying on banks because the instability of will, yeah. will it will scare banks because banks will basically look and go, well, the revenue of a football club is not guaranteed. They're not always going to complete their season. So if we can complete the season, that'd be better on the financial front of things because it'll show, look, even in the most unlikely and severe of circumstances, we still completed our obligations and still earned the money that we were projected to or the close yeah. to. If it's voided and we lose a load of money, then banks will, will be wary to touch football again because their income streams will not be nailed on, which is what they need to, to lend. 100%. Um, TIFO Football have been coming out with some pretty good articulate content as they always tend to with their, with their YouTube videos and the podcast and whatnot. And as you rightly said, Terry, um, I think most of, if not all, Premier League clubs are self-sufficient as a virtue of the TV monies that's generated, but the real sort of serious consequences of this, as you say, is when you start looking at the the EFL clubs and when you start looking at the the teams lower down the pyramid, where they I think most of them don't live within the means, as you say, depending on loans and and what have you. I think player wages is the is the key sort of outgoing that puts them spending out of the means, but you know, as you say, there, there could be a. Obviously, we've seen what sort of transpired with Berry. Um, uh, I've got a bad feeling that that might carry over, and we might see a couple of other bankruptcies as as time progresses. But fingers crossed that won't be the case, because, like I said, this does also provide an opportunity for football clubs to be more humanitarian 
Jordan this time. Obviously, we're seeing the pain of non-playing stuff. Um, and we, we are seeing some bad examples as well of sort of players being let go and, and some, some you know, under-18 squads not being paid, which I do think is, is disgraceful in all honesty, given that you are generating enough money to, to pay them. But as we say, it is early doors and this lockdown's only just started and it is it's um very surreal unprecedented times and you know the there's bound to be there's more that you know we'll have a clearer picture as time goes on i imagine um a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the negative you know effects will be mitigated if we've managed to complete the season however we do it if we manage to do it then it'll be a uh, it won't be a fatal injury. It'll just be an injury. But I just don't see how. It's it's just it looks really really unlikely, regardless of how much it's it's needed by those clubs because there's things that are on in this in in July. Not um. Not you know they're getting cancelled. Wimbledon, as I said, and yeah, you know there's there's always the option. Well, why don't we? start much later you know carry on do this league in september or what have you you've got to get other federations this is the this is another problem you've got to get other federations to agree with that how does the transfer work, window work how does you know how does other how do other things work in, in in union with that it's it's so so many moving parts to account for definitely um i think we covered all bases there have we not yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's it's one of those scenarios where it's all just opinion. There's no certainty. At the, you know, at the time of recording, there's no certainty. There's no decisions made. It's all just, you know, up in the air. And even at the very top of the game, I think it's up in the air. I don't think anyone knows how to do this because there's the things that, you know, there's probably no legislation for a global pandemic stopping the whole of football at once, mm. apart from Belarus some, for yeah. some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every, the only things that we're nailed on were, you know, the timetables. They were the the most concrete thing in football. You play on these days and these months and and what have you. And it's just, it's, we'll be feeling this for so long. Like this, 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 even if it's only a couple of months of lockdown, the ramifications of this will go on for years. Like you know, tournament wise and, and mm. everything else. And, yeah, it's rough. And uh, as you say, like different federations, I think. Today, actually, UEFA have come out and said that uh, Europa League and Champions League games are going to be suspended indefinitely. So, uh, again, it, as you say, ramifications abound. So, yeah, yeah they, say, they won't be coming back. They'll, they, even if the league's complete, I don't see the European competitions coming back. For a while, no. Um, fingers crossed that we, obviously there's going to be a, there's got to be a, a clinical process that takes place and it'll probably take a few months but fingers crossed the vaccine gets sorted sooner rather than later, because that's when I feel like things will start that, kicking into gear again. That'll be the magic bullet. If the, I mean, it's you know, it's not as easy as all that, but I mean, if you manage to do that, then you could you could start to you know turn the wheels of everything else coming back. Then you you know you wouldn't need everyone to be vaccinated before you you, you opened up things again, but you'd be able to get you know NHS staff done and and what have you, and then bit by bit, but. I don't know. I just hope it's. I just hope it's completed. The 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 novelty and the enjoyment of Liverpool missing out on the title will be tainted by the negative effect it have on everyone else. If Everton came out smelling like roses, I'd be all up for it, but they won't. And I can't. Yeah. Uh, can't I, it's not good. Enough. It's not enough of a temptation for me to wish for it. And now everyone's all the Reds accuse us of wishing for it. We don't. We just think it'd be that'd be the. The only positive in a in a sad situation. Let's be honest. Yeah, it, it transcends football, and on a sort of on a human note, I hope everybody that's listening in the audience staying safe out there, staying indoors, and looking after them and, and those close to them. Yeah, um, that, that goes without saying. Obviously, people might be screaming at me now, going fucking, you know, fat heads. It's only a, it's not, it's only laughing about football. There's people dying. Listen, I. My wife works for the NHS. I know full well what the situation is, but this is a football podcast. The, you know, you try and look at it from a different angle, I suppose, and get something out of it. This this strange, unprecedented situation. On a lighter note, 
as previously mentioned, this has been obviously uncertain times, but it's provided a lot of opportunities for football clubs to make use of some sort of, you know, some very unique content. Obviously, I've seen the likes of the the official FIFA channels again, classic matches, um, the UEFA as well, getting classic matches out there. Uh, Everton have been streaming old games, which I know this podcast will get out there, I imagine, a day or so after the 1st of April. But on this day in 1970, we picked up our seventh league title, which is pretty cool. But as I was saying, Everton, the official Everton Instagram account, put a template on their story for fans to utilise to name their best Everton 11 during their lifetime. Now, I was born in 1998. It it handed me quite a lot of disadvantages, I would say. I've missed out on some absolutely legendary players. So, like, obviously players from the 80s. Now, Tom, who also does these podcasts, has the upper hand on me. He was born in 1997, and he said he was doing his research, and it allowed him to have Neville Southall in goal. Um, and he put Dave Watson in goal as well, in, in a centre-half which I think he must have only been about two when he was playing. And I mean, I've judged them off players that I've actually seen playing and judge with my own two eyes. Yeah, so, I've done that. I've, I've not included players from when I was six months old. Because if I did, <laughs> my team would look a lot different, but I couldn't speak to it. I'm just assured they were good because I've not seen much of my own eyes. That's, that's, that's cheating that. There's no way. No, I know. He said he, he said he, uh, he missed out including Andre Kanchelskis as well because he was born a couple of months after he left, so he couldn't he couldn't put him in there. But I don't think he would have put him in there anyway. So, right, we're just gonna gonna reel these off, and I suppose we can we can quiz each other on our selections as as we go through them. So for me formation, I've gone for a diamond four four two, and for my chosen manager. I know he's only been on us a couple of months, but it is pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? I mean, the man's won Champions League galore as a manager and a player, gone with Carlo Ancelotti. Um, David Moyes coming close second. Obviously, he was here for, I think it was 11 years. Obviously, the the man I've grew up watching as Everton manager. And, um, you know, I, I still hold Moyes in very high regard, how we managed to turn our fortunes around from, you know the the catastrophic situation in the nineties to put us in there as a as a contender for European places, um, and then in in third place, going to have to go for Mr. Roberto Martinez, now manager of Belgium. I think in my time as an Evertonian, we probably played our best football under him, but I think at the same time, the most frustrating football uh, as time progressed. Um, in goal number twenty four, got to be Tim Howard. Um, I obviously, in terms of Everton players that I've met, Tim, I was right up there with being one of the nicest guys. I remember when I was younger doing my work experience in high school at Finch Farm, he'd give me a pair of signed boots and he just sort of endeared himself to me half from then. Uh, my back four, I'm pretty sure they played together all together at the same time. Seamus Coleman at right back, Sylvan Distan at centre half, who also responded to me, me starting 11 when I put it up on my Instagram story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sent me a little heart eyes emoji. Um, and he had to go at me for not putting him at left centre-back. It was my mistake. I put him at right centre-back rather than left centre-back. Oh, he's a left-footed, isn't he? Yeah. Um, well, at, at the other centre-half, and I know you're probably going to have a go at me for this, I put John Stones. Um, Left-back. Goes to say in Leighton Baines. Now, me midfield, I think this would be a pretty well-functioning midfield. I think it's got a good balance of players that can attack, but also know the defensive responsibility. Holding midfield, Adrissa Garnagay. On the right side, Mikel Arteta. On the left side, Stephen Pienaar. And the head of the diamonds, Tim Cahill. And me two up front, I've gone for Wayne Rooney. Yes, I know he did come back in his 30s, but watching him when he was younger, when he was like 16, 17, 18, honestly, he was one of, if not the best young player I think I've ever seen. Um, 
And I'm sorry, Duncan Ferguson, but I think it just goes without saying that his strike partner is Romelu Lukaku. Now, hit me with it. Yeah, I mean, no no complaints. I, I mean, I'm, I can't believe you, you got the centre-backs the wrong way around. It's such a big thing. You know, he that was, was a rookie mistake, I know. This time was brought in to replace Lescott as a left-footed, left-side. It was what Moyes always wanted to have. He, he wouldn't have two, two right-footed centre-backs. I mean, he, he very briefly, well, due to injuries, had two left-footers, but... He always wanted to build on that balance, and you know, if rumours are be to believe, we're going to go back to something like that next season. But yeah, I mean, for mine, I went with the four-two-three-one formation. I know that's gone really stale now, but I wanted to pick a formation that I've seen us play the most of, and there was only mm. really two two standout formations, and it would have been four-two-three-one or four-one-four-one. Which was the you know Moyes finished chap fourth in the Champions League places formation, but then even Moyes adapted to an AM four two three one eventually. Mm. You know Martinez used it, um, Kuman used it, and Silva used it. It's only really now under Carlo Ancelotti we've moved to a proper new formation. There's been variations within, but now they, only now we've started to see a proper change. Uh, Manager-wise, I'm like you. I've gone for Carlo Ancelotti. I mean, if you could pick a specific moment or a specific season for a manager, then obviously Moyes in 2004-05 or Martinez's first year, you know, strong candidates. But I'm not looking at that list of managers with Moyes, Martinez, Koeman, Allardyce. Sorry, I was just sick of my mouth a bit then. Marco, <laughs> Marco Silva and, and then not picking Ancelotti. Ancelotti could is a better manager than them. In his sleep, so I he hasn't done a lot of it, but I just I just can't pick off that list and not pick Ancelotti, even though he's only been here a few minutes. So the logic of what I've seen only applies when I want it to. Mm. <laughs> in goal, I did go for for Tim Howard at first, but I've changed my mind. I agonised over it. I, I'm going to have to go. Nigel Martin. With Nigel Martin. I mean, I I I was born in 1989. But I am. Um, I've mentioned on previous podcasts. I got into football quite late. I was a teenager when I got into football, so all the nineties didn't bother with it, and probably for the best because my dad's a copite, so if I'd have bothered with it, I'd be one. Um, got into it when I was older, and um, you know, got taken to Goodison Park, and you know, the rest is history. So Nigel Martin, in that, as good as Howard was. Even though he went a little bit, you know, off the boat, he stayed a little bit too long. I think everyone, you know, accepts that. But Martin in that season, um, 2003-2004, kept us in the Premier League. He was immense. He, he was coming right to the end of his career and he was just so good. So I've, I've just gone for Nigel Martin in goal. Uh, back four of Coleman, Jagielka, Lescott and Baines. Sorry, uh, sorry, Sylvan, if you, if you watch this, if Max sends you this. Okay. And that, that, that was another close one, but I was always a Lescott guy over a, over a Distan guy, nothing against Distan. I just thought Lescott and Jagielka for their partnership were just fantastic. Obviously, Baines and Coleman speak for themselves. Um, in midfield, at the base of, of the midfield, I've got Mikel Arteta, just one of the best players I've seen play for Everton. Um before his injury, um, he was just one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. I mean, match of the day on BBC, don't seem to realise he played most of his Premier League career at Everton, you know, put out a little tweet for his, um, was it his birthday? They put a tweet I, out of his... I tweeted that and then I deleted it because I looked like a nagging, you know... No, they, they like put a... Nagging little bit. For those who didn't see it, BBC match of the day's Twitter account put out a happy birthday message to Arteta with like a highlight video of his Premier League goals and every single one was Arsenal. He scored more goals at Everton and had more appearances at Everton in his Premier League career. But he acted like he'd just played for Arsenal. I was like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. So Arteta and this was the hardest part of the team, Gareth Barry, because I was agonising over Adrissa Gay. Because Adrissa Gay was quality. He's moved, gone on to Paris Saint-Germain and looks the part there amongst all the superstars around him, like Mbappe and, and Neymar. He looks a quality player, and that's because he is. Everyone's acting like it's a new thing. We've known for years 
quality mm-hmm. player and we you know we didn't make the most of having him because we were in flux as a club. But I've got to go with Gareth Barry. Absolute class act stuff. Even when Martinez's um, teams had the wheels starting to come off, he was just the consummate, you know, professional. His levels never dropped. He was a fantastic player. I just wish we'd got him when he was younger, so we'd have got more time out of him. There was there was some seasons where the end of season awards should have just been him having a three course meal by himself. <laughs> Wearing gazelles. Yeah, exactly. So Arteta and Barry. Um, across the three attacking midfielders um, on the left have gone for Stephen Pienaar speaks for itself Pienaar and Baines one of the strongest combinations down one side we've had he was just a great player a criminally underrated player I don't think he gets nearly as much you know, credit mm. as he deserves for the Premier League you know, midfielders um, Tim Cale in the middle um, that was another one that was sort of close because Fellaini was, you know, was a good player, but you know, there's just no one except Tim Cale was that he a, a big game player, and you know we haven't had many of them since he's left. Boy, absolute quality, the best, the best little Australian we know. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> uh, on the right. Um, I had to get him in because the, the right was the weakest position in the team, and although he's not been here that long, Richarlison. Yeah, he's a you know you know I know he's a striker, but it's my team, so and he can play there. Proper Everton player, fights for the badge, works his arse off, loves the fans, loves the birds in town, scores <laughs> goals, and he's a moody, moody get. Love him, absolutely love him. And up front, again, you know I saw Rooney when he broke through, but I always feel like we didn't get the best of Rooney. I always feel like he really caught light. And by the time he, you know, he, he really caught fire when he left. And I remember when I was young and I cried when I watched him. Broke me heart, that, you know. The first game after the Euros, I loved the Euros. He was still here at the Euros and I was like loving every minute of it. He, you know, he, you know, we'd known about him and he exploded onto the national, the international stage. Then he goes to Man United and he's playing his first game and he's in the Man United tunnel with a rip in his top and he's playing Fenerbahce and he just ruins them. And I was just like, oh. He's caught, he, he caught fire when he left Everton and he only came back when he'd gone out. That was the mm. way I looked at it. Like a quality player, you know, you know, credit to our academy, England's most successful ever player or captain or you know whatever goal scorer. All these other accolades, maybe not player because you know Bobby Moore and all that. But um, I just can't fit him in. Our top Premier League goal scorer, Romelu Lukaku, is just a no-brainer. I don't think anyone who's done this template hasn't included him. They may have given him a partner here and there, but there's no one who's not got Lukaku in that team. An absolute goal machine. Just every single game he played, you, you knew he was good for a goal. He, he covered up the ills of some poor managers. And once he was gone, there was nowhere to hide for a lot of players and a lot of managers. He wasn't the perfect player, but he was an absolute beast of a goal scorer. The most gifted natural goal scorer since probably Gary Lineker was at the club. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Honourable mentions go to you know the likes of um, Kubu, um, Andy Johnson who did well when they were here. Obviously Duncan Ferguson, an icon of the club. Who's, you know you say you're a hero when you grow up with Arteta. Man was Duncan Ferguson, and if this team had a bench, he'd definitely be on it. Yeah. But um, yeah. So Lukaku. So the only thing I've changed from me Instagram is probably Martin for Howard. There was a few close calls in the team, now. So go on, let's hear it. No, I, I think that's a a pretty solid team. Because I when I look at these teams, I'm thinking about the practicality of them. I think um, Tom played a really weird four three three with a midfield of Pina, Arteta, and Kyle. I'm thinking that team's just gonna leak goals. Like this got no defensive cover whatsoever. So Did he, you've got was it, was it Tom was it Tom who, who was including players he was two months old for as well, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean if I did that I'd absolutely roast everyone. Like <laughs> I, I, the only one who's older than me is Jerry and he didn't start watching. So I mean I could mm. I could turn around and, you know, I could throw Southall in and, and you know, what have you, but I just can't. I'm doing it from when I've watched it because I can speak to that. Yeah, I was good that I couldn't put Watching Kinchelski, you just seem like an absolute terror on the pitch. Uh, Anders Limpar as well, seemed like a good mm-hmm. little player from 
before my time. Um, but on your team, you've, you've got the main man, Gareth Barry, sitting in between the two centre-halves, like, just protecting the back four as, as the full-backs bomb on. Which just, it was boss to watch, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the problem with a lot of the... Like, these picks, other than the Moyes players, you know, the Kales, the Pinars, the Artetas, some of them, you, you sort of, like... Oh, there were some players who you could have, who would, you know, if they hadn't have tailed off as badly as they did, you know, you could make an argument for it. Kevin Morales was fantastic at first. Yeah. James McCarthy looked like he was going to be a beast, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's loads of players we've had who've been quality in short spells, but then, like, it's tailed off badly or they've not, um, they've not. You know the managers haven't, you know, have come and gone, and you know like the, the club's been in too much turmoil. Like it's it's an indictment on the mismanagement of the club that was still going back to so many Moyes players. But you know, I've I've managed to get a, a current player in 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 Richarlison, and hopefully hopefully in a few years we're turning around and we're going. You know what? It was really tough to decide who to pick between Calvert Lewin and Lukaku, and you know it sounds mad to say now, but who knows? Like. You could we could turn around and go, oh well, you know, as good as Jaggy Elko was, I've got to put Holgate in, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. There's always yeah. that aspirational aspect to it, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Fingers crossed. And I mean, as I say, it's also like obviously the more easier that we've got the most evidence for as to who we can put on there. But I'm just thinking from for my bench, Ferguson, James McCarthy because I love watching James McCarthy in his prime alongside Gareth Barry. And dare I say it, and I'm probably going to get slaughtered for saying this, but Ross Barkley. I, I love Ross Barkley in his prime, you know. I, I, he, only, he only showed it for a combination of, like, in spurts of 45 minutes over an allotted season, but I feel like that is that he's just a very well-built number 10 for the modern game. And he's still very inconsistent to Chelsea today, but he puts in performances like he did against us when they trounced us 4-0. And, you know, there are still flashes of, you know, that Gascoigne type that the media sort of lauded them as. Yeah. I mean, there's if we're talking benches, there's a few. I mean, I haven't got a set-up bench, but, like, players who just missed out for me, like Howard Distan, Idrissa Gay, Duncan Ferguson, Yakubu. So the players as well, who were so unsung, but they were so good for us, like Lee Carsley. Lee Carsley, yeah. you know, was that, you know, that one in the 4-1-4-1, you know, like in between the midfield and the defence, and the whole team ticked because of him. Not an exciting player, not a, you know, not a, what do you, you call it now? Not a player with sauce. Help me out, Max, I'm, I'm young. He's just, he was a, I'm not young, sorry, I'm... Um, a sourceless player, like a, not a not a you know not a highlights player, but dead important. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and it would be pretty cool to see definitely some of the older viewers and, and audience put down their team for their lifetime. And I'm sure it'd just be the eighty four, eighty five lineup. Yeah, anyone anyone who's somebody just would just throw that eighty four, eighty five team in at you, and then you just you you you're gone. Or the odd one might go, you know, what I prefer Lineker to Gray. Uh, uh, you know the odd the odd thing like that, but you know I make uh, eventually it'll get to the point where these are odds because if you have a certain age, you pick all the Moyes players. If you have an even older age, you pick the um, the eighties teams. Uh, hopefully, you know we come back and do this in another five years. It's a lot harder. Put it that way. Fingers crossed that we uh, yeah we pick up some silverware in that time and make a few legends of the the lads that we've got today. Yeah, hopefully. Right, cool. So we'll round up the podcast for you guys now. Um, And just sort of off the cuff sort of discussion, really, obviously, as I said, as as we all know, the UK is in lockdown at the minute and Everton have been coming out with these um, obviously, they've come up with a brilliant Blue Family campaign where they've been contacting uh, all the fans and and those that are vulnerable during this time of, of isolating. But um, something else that I've found quite interesting that they've been doing is they've been putting on like daily schedules, um, which is either you know 
uh, two o'clock, we've got a, a live workout for you to do. At four o'clock, we've got a Leighton Baines interview. And at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, we've got Luca Dean reading your kids, Tiger who came for tea, which I thought it was a little uh, PR stunt given the popularity of Tiger King at the, at the minute. But I just... <laughs> I mean, I like, I like conspiracies, Max, but Jesus, that's a bit... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jerry always says to me, I get my conspiracy theorist hat on when it comes to everything, but I think that is a stretch. <laughs> I, I wanted someone I wanted someone to Photoshop Luca Dean's face onto Joe Exotic's face. <laughs> In the comments, just just have it there. But, uh... Yeah, just, just, a, just sort of like normal conversation like what have you been doing what do you plan to do over during this time we're locked up because uh, Sunderland till I die has just come out today on it and I'm, I know you're big into that yeah I've, I've, you took the words out of my mouth I obviously said at the, the top of the podcast that um, you know watched Tiger King but that was like uh, you know, was half a week ago now um, Sunderland till I die has come out today you know recording on, on Wednesday and I've started watching that um, it's just the best football documentary I've ever seen. Like how well made it is, and everything. Just, I've seen like some good ones as well. You know, like the Amazon Prime. You know, all or nothing stuff's really good. Um, I I'm only the third. I think no, I'm in the fourth episode. Something until I die. So I haven't finished it yet. But it, as I say, it only come out today. Season two. Um, yeah, season two. Was the okay. first season was the season they were in the championship for the first time. And, you know, there's a lot of lot of turmoil, you know, they changed manager a lot and, you know, got a massive hangover from being in the Premier League they've got loads of players on ridiculous contracts and that. And now it's the season after they've gone down again into League One, but they've got new owners, new everything and, and you know, it's just, you couldn't pick a better club to, to do it with. Um, I've, to be honest, that's what I've been doing whilst whilst locked up. I've been, you know, just consuming as much stuff as I can that I've wanted to. I mean, that that's new, so you know, that I would have watched that anyway. But you know, not in work. I'm watching things that I've, you know, been. It's been on me. You know, everyone's got like, oh, I'll put that on the list, and then there's no list. You know, when someone suggests something to you, they go, yeah, I'll put it on my list, and you never think about it again. Mm. I'm actually trying to go through stuff that I've, um, I've got on my own little internal list that I've said I'm going to watch. Sometimes it's old films that I, I want to see and, and I've not got around to. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it, I mean, another football documentary. It's not all football because, frankly, even the Sunderland one, it's depressing because you don't half miss football. Like, you know, because you're watching, the, you know, and mm. you just think, oh, I can't wait for this to come back. I'm going to watch that All or Not in Brazil documentary. I started watching Oh, that. yeah. I started watching that about about a month and a half, six weeks ago. Um, but it was it's all in obviously it's all in Portuguese, so it's subtitled. So I, when I started watching it, I, I wanted to like listen and just sort of zone in and out like you do. You can't because you have to watch, you have to sit and dedicate time to watch it, and you know that's more of a commitment than sometimes you want to do. So, but now I've got the time. That that as soon as I finish Sunderland, I'm gonna go on to that. Yeah. Um, how about you? So what, what have you been doing? Well, I mean, I'm gonna eventually. I mean, I've been indoors for a week and I've done zero exercise, so I'm gonna have to start that before I die. But <laughs> that, that's low on the list. Uh, you know, Netflix first. Yeah, I've been getting me uh, me permitted outdoor exercise, single outdoor exercise in there before being given me marching orders by by a copper, but just on the sort of football documentary thing, right, is that Brazil one on Amazon Prime? Yeah, All or Nothing, it? it's called, yeah, the, I really like the one on Man City they've done a few years ago, Yeah. But, but obviously this Brazil national team, it takes in the, um, well, what was the competition called? Copper America. Copper America, when Richarlison yeah. got the winning penalty. Yeah, it's, um, it's, Obviously, it's it's not in English, so it's a very different watch. You can't just you know you know read something else, look at your phone, and all that while it's on. Mm. You've got to sit and watch it, but it's obviously more interesting for us because it's got our star player in it. Like it's yeah. the city one was just interesting because you saw behind the scenes with players you recognise and know. Yeah. But you know you didn't care. You know what I mean? You're just watching it. 
Whereas this one, you care, you, you get to see more of like, you know, and especially a player who doesn't speak much English because you don't, you know, you, you sort of get a vibe for Calvert-Lewin and, you know, the other, and, you know, Andre Gomez and the players who speak really good English or, or are English. Um, the ones who don't, like the Vieriminas and the Bernards mm. and the, the Chalison, you don't get to see as much of them as, as you do the others. And it's, it was, it's really good, but from what I've watched, I don't half want us to buy David Neres. Just <laughs> just because I just want to see David Neres and Richarlison just go, just rolling around Crosby trying to get on all the scouse birds that were going into town. <laughs> We're both a pair of proper, like, proper boys, aren't they? I, I will start a GoFundMe to get David Neres to Everton. Cause to be honest, that- though, it's it's probably not for the best that I want because every time I wish for a player, they end up shit. I want a Davy Classer mm-hmm. loads and watch Davinetta's will get here and he'll be one lazy bastard or he won't be able to transfer his, his ability into the Premier League. So I just need to keep my head down and stop wishing for players because I never get it right when I go, when I when I pine for a player, it never ends. <laughs> but I, I will definitely get round to that. Just the Brazilian national team, man, like. If you're not, if you're into football, why wouldn't you watch a documentary on the Brazilian national team? But the, the, I, I was really into the the Amazon production of football documentaries. So like, I'm halfway through the Dortmund one as well. So like, what I so this what I'm going to try and explain is I've not watched, I've not touched Sunderland until I die. I don't want to touch it because as I seen a like a a Twitter ad for it before. And it looked like a scene out the office. It's just like their executives are non-footballing people trying to make like a connection with football, and it's just not happening. And it just makes me feel so sad for their fans, what they've had to, what oh, they've got to go through. Yeah, I, you don't have feel sorry for Sunderland fans because this this new season I'm watching it's even more car crash. Like it's you, don't, you this is not one to watch for the football. This is one to watch for the behind the scenes. But you do really feel. I mean, if you're if you're a Geordie, I'm sure you don't. But they, there's literally documented evidence of the sort of. Uh, I don't want to say demise because they're still here and they're still you've got a chance of coming back up. But the just the dismantling of Sunderland Football Club, like the people who were in charge. And I've just finished an episode. I won't give too much away. People haven't seen it, but they're doing. Basically, it's the transfer deadline day in January, and oh my god. It's terrifying that you know the stuff that goes on, mm. and it, it makes you think. It's it's not realistic to think that's you know things like this don't happen at my club. Maybe not to the same degree or as egregious, but you know like the the slapdash rush. Like you you imagine, or at least I do, that the top clubs, um, are you know well organised. You know on on the yeah professionals the word yeah. And it's not just done I, like it is on computer games where you just throw six bids in and eventually you'll get it. No, it, it, some clubs as big as Sunderland, it really is like that. Like, it's just, you know, bid after bid after bid. And then, you know, the other club wants, you know, triple the money. And then, you know, the, there's an hour to go before deadline and the, 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 the chairman caves. And you just think, oh, it just, you know, I just feel so lucky that, you know, Everton... Uh, in a such strong position because Sunderland are a big club mate in the state there. Yeah, I, know. I just think it could, could happen to anyone. You get the wrong people in charge and it could be you. True. On the flip side to that though, you say, you know, Everton are a big club with stable. I sort of, as I say, on the other side of that coin, obviously with me living in Manchester, going to the Etihad so much and that summer that I worked at Manchester City, that's when I watched the All or Nothing documentary. So yeah. to like, to see the complete and utter professionalism, how they conduct themselves, how an elite club at the peak of their powers conduct themselves in their operations, how the sort of players interact and the sort of the progression of it. It, it was that record setting season when they got over 100 points. Like, it was just absolutely incredible. So, like, yeah, you, you, you do see, like, I mean, hopefully. I would, you know, you'd like to think that Everton would be more that than, you know, obviously not levels of success on the pitch, but like operationally, everyone who comes into the club, like Brand said it when he came, like with a, with a mm. Champions League outfit off the pitch, were absolutely fantastic. And once again, with this um, 
you know situation with coronavirus. But you know we're showing again what a fantastic football club we are. But it just goes to show how easily if you if the wrong people you know get in charge of the club doesn't matter how many good people are at the club or how many clever people. If you are you've got the wrong man at the wheel, then you can you can you just sail into some rocky waters. And I feel so sorry for the Sunderland fans, just because they're not unrealistic. They're not like you know looking to you know conquer the world. They just want to feel like their club is together and in the right direction again and they, they're just struggling to get that and I just think God there but for the grace of God goes this you must be feel so helpless if you're a supporter of a club who like that. Mm, I know he's talking about having someone who's professional at the wheel. Like I thank me lucky stars that we've got Carlo Ancelotti as our manager. You know, I I gen I genuinely feel like that's the that's the first step onto pushing us into that Manchester City direction, you know. I do. Yeah, I mean, you can never you can never guarantee success on the pitch, but you've got to put all the things in place off it to try and um, you know to try and make it happen. And it it just makes me think basically that I hope Brands has got in complete control of this club because no matter how well meaning you are, executives with money don't always make the best decisions. So I. I would cringe at the idea of Mashiri as much as I love Mashiri and how much he's facilitated, you know, some of the best things, you know, the the, the investments in players, the stadium and, and what have you. It makes me think on the decision making side for transactions, just think if you don't let someone who knows what they're doing make those decisions, you end up making mistakes no matter how well meaning they are. And it just makes me cringe the idea of any club at a, you know, at a top flight level not having a director of football it makes me it staggers me after watching this that Man United haven't got one a club of that size yeah, they're, just yeah. A, they're just letting a chief executive and a, and a novice manager make their decisions no matter you know how good Solskjaer's decisions might be or Ed Woodward's business acumen you just think oh there needs to be someone there for a club that size should have rarely mentioned this in the first segment but have you seen the valuation of Manchester United as a, as a stock market entity now. No, like, oh, I think it's over like over half a billion. It's it's heavy. Um, it's not nice yeah, to see this. But isn't that one of those things that can you know change overnight? You know, like the second, if 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 a vaccine came out tomorrow, say, wouldn't that just reflex? Wouldn't that just bounce back? You'd like to think so, but again, I suppose that opens that kind of worms of the. Potential that's a massive if, like obviously, but yeah, that's the potential impact that this could have on on football. But yeah, man, it's strange times, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the the, uh, the impact of this will be felt for a long time, and it, it uh, you know, there's Nobody saw the. I mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent, non-football tangent, but nobody saw the rise of populism in 2016 coming. Like you know, in in politics, politics seemed really dusty and you know, sort of rigid and routine. You know, like oh, you'll get you know varying shades of politicians and what have you, and then all of a sudden, bam, you know, populism takes off and people who who you know like Donald Trump can become you know, like president and and. That was something that no one saw coming. Obviously, this pandemic might have a massive effect on the world as well, a bigger effect than that. You know, like might not even affect politics, but it might it might do. You know what I mean? It might change the way we look at things. You could suddenly come out of this, and all of a sudden, the whole world suddenly is really, really on it for climate change because we've now seen once the once the cages rattle just a little bit, how inconvenient it is, and people turn around and go, right, then we're not having that happen again. Or it could not. It could be something mm-hmm. completely different. It could be even, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, I, I don't know whether this will be the case. We, you know, there's, there's a massive wave of anti, rightly or wrongly, anti-Chinese sentiments, and like we suddenly don't get everything from China like we do now, or it could be something else. Like There will be major, major global societal changes based off the back of this. Because it's too big to not have an effect, but we don't know what it'll be. Yeah. To, to, to end on a slightly higher note. After <laughs> yeah, so, binge- sorry, I've got a bit of a After binging Tiger King, 
would you recommend Sunderland till I die and would I go season one to season two or just stick season two on? At this point, I'd stick season two on. Like, it recaps okay. roughly. Like, it doesn't have a full breakdown, but you you follow football and you don't need to know what happened to Sunderland that season. You, you, you'll probably watch season two and then go back to season one. But you, you've... You're, um, I've just watched season two at this point because it's more recent and, and you know you know that he went down a second time and all that stuff. So, but if I was to say watch one of them, watch Tiger King. That's uh, honestly watch it. Get it once you get off this with me. Watch it. Okay, I will do. Stick past season uh, episode one, sorry, and you will. You won't regret it. It just can't. It, okay. it doesn't give you a minute to get your, your gloves up. All right, cool. Teddy, take care, man. Look after yourself and everybody else out there. As I say, look after yourselves. Look after your families. You know, stick to this lockdown. Don't be, don't, you know, don't be gathering in groups. It's not wise. And stop panic buying toilet roll, you dickheads. It's just a <laughs> stupid thing to do. Wash your hands. Yeah, wash your hands as well. Take care, everyone.